Well, uh, we're going to do two series this summer. Ryan's going to be preaching through Ephesians, and I'm going to be preaching through a number of the Psalms. Um, <clears throat> and uh, before we get started, let me just go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you've blessed us with your revelation that we can know you, that we can know truth. And Father, I pray that as we, as we open your word, and as we look at Psalm 23 today, I pray that you would work deep in our hearts, cause it to penetrate us and to change us into the likeness of your Son. Father, I pray that as we look at your word, that it would stir up worship within us, that we would desire to worship you, to magnify your name, to glorify your name, and to spread your fame amongst all the nations, amongst all the world. And Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Psalms is an interesting book because it was not written by one author. And the majority of the Psalms written by David, they, um, they were written before the book of Psalms was compiled. So the, the book of, of Psalms took a whole bunch of different songs, hymns, if you will, from, from the nation of Israel and compiled them all together. And when they compiled them, it was after they came back from exile. So this is really Israel's post-exilic hymn book that we're looking at. And it was compiled to remind them of who God is and to produce hope in a future restoration under the Messiah. So we're going to look at Psalm 23 today, and it's a psalm that probably most of us are familiar with. But regardless of our familiarity, I'm going to read through the psalm to refresh our memories, though I'm sure many of us could recite it from memory. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So to the Jews coming out of exile, this psalm would be a reminder of God's personal care for them throughout their exile and a hopeful promise of the coming Messiah who would lovingly shepherd his people. Jesus said in John 10, 1 through 16, that he's the door of the sheep and the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jack read this for us just a little bit ago. And we're going to view this psalm assuming that the Lord, who is the shepherd, is Jesus. 
Now, I have absolutely zero experience caring for sheep. I'm sure some, some of us do. I know some of us do. Um, but I understand that there are similarities between sheep and people when it comes to spiritual things. For instance, sheep are dumb. <laughs> really dumb. Now, I won't get into all the different ways that sheep are dumb, but they have basically no sense of self-preservation. One article that I read from a modern-day shepherd commented on the, quote, ability of sheep to snuff it without any input. There are countless stories of sheep getting themselves into trouble, and the only reason they've not gone extinct is because they have a shepherd caring for them. Likewise, spiritually, we tend to run headlong into sin. And we would have no sense of spiritual self-preservation without the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We would not survive were it not for God's spiritual care for us, nor would we survive without God's physical care for us. God's care is not simply a general goodwill toward all mankind to be accessed at our whim like a supernatural Santa Claus. The health and wellness heresy preaches that you can actually command God to bless you with material prosperity. That's not what the Bible teaches. And that's not what Psalm 23 teaches. God's care is also not some distant provision that was set up at creation to be worked out like a cosmic clockwork machine. The deist heresy preaches this, but again, this is not what the Bible says. God's care of his people is personal and intimate. As we'll see in this psalm, which shows three ways that Jesus, as our shepherd, personally cares for us. He's our provider, our protector, and our peacemaker. The first way that the psalm shows Jesus' personal care for us is as our provider. He provides everything that we need. David says in verses 1 through 3, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The very first phrase that we're met with in this psalm is that Jesus the Lord, Yahweh, is our shepherd. Notice that David has written this in a way that emphasizes God's intimate relationship with him rather than in a broad or abstract way. He did not write, the Lord is everyone's shepherd, nor did he write, the Lord is Israel's shepherd, or the shepherd of the elect, although all those things are true. He wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. At the end of the day, all that matters is that I understand that the Lord is my shepherd. Is that true of you right now? Can you legitimately say the Lord is my shepherd? I think sadly many of us, including myself, try to be our own shepherd all too often. But if you're truly saved, then he is your shepherd, whether you act like it or not. But David here was so excited that the Lord is his personal shepherd. He goes on to explain what it means that, his, that the Lord is his shepherd in more specific terms. He says that because the Lord is his shepherd, he shall not want. 
The fact that the Lord is his shepherd means that he will have no lack of anything that he needs. We can apply this to us as well. If Jesus is your good shepherd, then the sovereign ruler and creator of everything has taken it upon himself to take care of your every need. Now this begs the question, what exactly do I need? Do I need a six-figure income? Do I need a new vehicle? Or a second vehicle? Or even just a reliable vehicle? Do I need the newest tech gadget? Do I need to get into this or that particular school? Do I need a good relationship with my family? Do I need a shoulder to cry on? Or someone to sympathize through sleepless nights? There are a variety of things that we might think are legitimate needs, and God may determine in his sovereignty that they are needed for his purposes. But ultimately, they're not our needs. They're our wants. In this psalm, two categories of needs are addressed. Our physical needs, like food and shelter, and our spiritual needs, including the state of our heart and obedience to God's word. In his shepherd metaphor, in verse 2, David depicts the Lord providing for our physical needs. He makes us lie down in green pastures, and he leads us beside still waters. This shows that the Lord provides for the physical needs of his sheep, whether they're at rest or moving where the shepherd leads. We'll address the times when he apparently does not provide for our physical needs in a moment, but at this point we see a depiction of when life looks good and prosperous. This is the very time that we are most vulnerable to try being our own shepherd, to rely on our own strength and achievements instead of relying on God's strength. David reminds us that even when things are going smoothly, God is still sovereign, and he has led you beside those still waters to that green pasture because he loves you and cares for you. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about our Heavenly Father providing for our physical needs. In Matthew 6, 25 to 33, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is, is, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus said that our Heavenly Father is the one who provides for all of our needs, both physical and spiritual. And we should pursue our spiritual needs first and not be anxious because he provides for them. David also reminds us that the Lord provides for our spiritual needs. Back in Psalm 23, verse 3, we read that the shepherd restores our soul and that he leads us in paths of righteousness. Our spiritual needs are both inward and outward. The inward state of our heart and the external behavior or fruit of obedience, which indicates that inward state of our heart. The restoration of our soul is nothing less than spiritual regeneration of the Holy Spirit, which gives us a new nature that's no longer contrary to God. That regeneration of the Holy Spirit is only available because Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross in our place and rose again according to the Scriptures. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We were all running away from our shepherd, trying to be our own shepherd. God the Father brought us back to the sheepfold through the blood of his Son, Jesus, restoring our soul by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit to walk down paths of righteousness rather than the paths of sin and destruction. The restoration of our soul enables us to be led down the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's important, for his name's sake. It's for his name's sake because our righteousness, it's not our own doing. It's God's doing. As Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God gets the glory when we walk the paths of righteousness because they're really his acts of righteousness worked through us. God provides for all of our legitimate physical and spiritual needs, including our good works. All we have to do is rest in God's sovereignty and respond in loving obedience. So the first way that our shepherd personally cares for us is as our provider, and the second way is as our protector. Verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This, this is when it may look like the Lord is not providing everything that you need. But he is still providing and protecting in the midst of difficulties. Now the term valley of the shadow of death in Hebrew does not exclusively refer to death. It's more like a valley of gloom or depression. The world says that when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, you just need medication and a therapist to talk it out. But that doesn't fix the problem. It masks the problem. The problem is not a feeling of depression. It's sin that causes depression. 
and only Christ crucified and risen can cure sin. Depression can also come from loss, but regardless of where the depression comes from, comfort is needed. Not much can and has been said about Psalm 23, verse 4, to comfort those who are dying or to comfort those who have recently lost a loved one. While death is certainly a time where comfort is needed, death is not the only time where comfort is needed. Do you need comfort when you've lost your job? Do you need comfort when you don't know where your next meal is coming from? Do you need comfort when you total your car? Do you need comfort when your child walks away from the faith? Do you need comfort when you're literally being shot at in a foxhole on a battlefield? Do you need comfort when you return from war but your friends didn't? Do you need comfort when your spouse decides to leave you for another? Do you need comfort when your parents divorce after decades of faithfulness? Do you need comfort when painful memories of past horrors haunt your thoughts? Do you need comfort when a loved one reveals that they have been abused? Do you need comfort when a close family member decides to transition from male to female or vice versa? Do you need comfort when your past sins catch up with you and you have to spend time in jail? Do you need comfort when you're overwhelmed with shame because of the inappropriate website you just visited? Do you need comfort when you find yourself in a mountain of debt because you gambled all of your money away? All of these are depictions of the valley of the shadow of death. It's the low points in life when we're overshadowed by difficulties and the evil that exists in the world because of sin. Sin in those we come in contact with and the sin within us that still plagues us on earth. But there's hope. The glorious truth that David has found and written here is that regardless of the difficulties, regardless of the sadness and sin that we inevitably walk through in life, God protects us. He protects us from all evil simply by being present with us and leading us through it. David says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He doesn't push us through it or simply command us to go through it while he stands aloof. Jesus goes before us, leading us and comforting us in the midst of the evil that permeates our lives. It's important to remember 
that God is sovereign even over these valleys. We may be tempted to think that he's stopped caring because we're going through these valleys, like Job's wife did in Job 2.9, where she advised her husband to curse God and die. She thought that their valley meant that God had abandoned them. Job never thought that God had abandoned him. He had a slightly deficient view of God's purposes, but he understood God's sovereignty in the midst of his valley. And he said in Job 121, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. These valleys are not outside of God's sovereignty. In fact, he actually provides the valleys. Ultimately, for his glory and your good. Might not feel like it in the moment, but it's because he grows us through the valleys and displays his mercy and grace within them. And we understand better who he is having gone through them in his strength. By the way, this is the answer to the so-called problem of evil. If you're not familiar with the problem of evil, it states that if God exists and he is all-powerful and all-good, then evil should not exist. People reason that because evil undeniably exists, then either God doesn't exist, or he is not all-powerful, all or he's not all-good. But the answer to this apparent problem is that God ordains evil in order to display his glory. God's power and goodness are on display in the face of evil more gloriously and beautifully than in the absence of evil. God's power and goodness were displayed the most in the face of the greatest evil the world has ever seen. When the Son of God was murdered by the hands of lawless men, God's ultimate power and goodness were gloriously displayed in bringing spiritually dead sinners back to life and reconciling them through the blood of his Son, Jesus. His power and goodness are magnified in his eternal judgment against evil in the lake of fire. Well, let's continue reading. David says that the shepherd's rod and staff are a comfort to him. The shepherd's rod and staff are the tools the shepherd uses to keep the sheep safe. The rod is for protecting the sheep from predators, and the staff is for correcting the sheep's bad behavior essentially protecting the sheep from itself. Both of them are comforting when we go through these distressing valleys of life because we know that we are helpless, but God protects us from evil from without and evil from within. Going through these hard times with our shepherd grows us in our knowledge of him and our faith in him. He uses these times to prove his faithfulness, to teach us that no matter what, it is well with our soul, as we sang. And the only reason it is well with our soul is that Jesus died on the cross in our place so that we could be reconciled to God. The comfort we get from our shepherd's rod and staff is the same comfort we get from the cross. 
Through the cross, Jesus protects us from sin and he protects us from death, rendering it only a shadow. We're comforted because sin and death have been defeated. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Then in verses 54, and 50, 54 through 57 of that same chapter, he wrote, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection have defeated sin and death, so we don't have to fear anymore. Our shepherd protects us. I want you to notice here in verse 4, that David switched from speaking as if he was telling someone else about how God provides for him to referring to God much more personally as a prayer or direct conversation with God. He moved from the third person to the second person. Instead of saying he, he says you. Your rod and staff comfort me. You are with me. James Montgomery Boyce wrote, we are never so conscious of the presence of God as when we pass through life's valleys. So often God uses these valleys to get our attention because we've forgotten him. When we cry out to him in these valleys, his personal care is more evident, as I'm sure David saw it more evident. You are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. And he comforts us in a personal and intimate way by directing our hearts to his love and faithfulness written in his word and recited back to us by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Our Heavenly, Father, comf uh, our Heavenly Father's comfort comes when we remember who He is in the midst of our valley. And we can comfort others by reminding them who our shepherd is as well. So we saw that Jesus personally cares for us as our provider and as our protector. Now the third way he personally cares for us is as our peacemaker. Verses 5 and 6 say, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now the metaphor is shifted slightly, and it's kind of a difficult metaphor because it doesn't translate well from the Hebrew language or from the ancient Hebrew culture to our modern-day Western culture. But the imagery of the table set before us in the presence of our enemies 
carries the idea that the Lord provides the means and opportunity for peace between us and our enemies. This is a table designed to facilitate reconciliation rather than just for eating a meal. In this section, the metaphor shifted from a shepherd to sheep a shepherd and sheep, to something more closely resembling real life for David. Now this psalm progresses in its intimacy with God from the first verse all the way to the end. He has set a table for negotiating reconciliation and peace between us and our enemies, and then he anoints our head with oil. Now the anointing that David refers to is different from the typical anointing that we see for kings or priests. This anointing is more medicinal or refreshing, like a face lotion. It's similar to how Jesus instructed regarding fasting in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 16 through 18. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So this anointing causes us to remain respectable, and peaceful amidst our attempts at reconciliation at the table. How does God do this? He causes our cup to overflow with peace that surpasses all understanding. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Reconciling with our enemies can produce a lot of anxiety, especially if they've done things that we may find difficult to forgive. But when we pray, giving our anxiety over to God, asking him to give us peace and to help us forgive, he answers and fills our cup with so much peace that it overflows to grant peace and forgiveness to our enemies at the table as well. Now sometimes, sometimes our enemies sit down at that table to be reconciled, but we don't rely on God's peace, and reconciliation fails. That's on us. We have to rely on God's peace. But sometimes we're not reconciled with our enemies because they refuse to sit at the table. We try to reconcile, but they want nothing to do with it. We can still forgive them from our heart as we have been forgiven and keep trying to reconcile. Sometimes the strife between you and someone else is less about your relationship with them and more about their denial of Christ. So we pray for them. We pray for them to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. And sometimes those who are enemies of God behave as enemies towards his children. And in a way, they are enemies because they're friends of the world. As James 4.4 4 says, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But this doesn't mean we write them off and stop trying to have peace. It just means that peace must begin with the gospel. It's kind of ironic that the only way to have true peace with others is through the gospel, which is antagonistic to the world. But we cannot have true peace with others without first having peace with God. Now, in the next line of the psalm, David highlights the character traits of goodness and mercy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, this is not David's goodness and mercy. Also, it's not our goodness and mercy. This is God's goodness and mercy. God's goodness and mercy that persistently, doggedly, and relentlessly pursues us. So often, we're pursued by guilt and shame over our sin. But Jesus took our shame and our guilt at the cross. So we're no longer pursued by them. They've been replaced by God's goodness and his chesed, his unfailing covenant love, his mercy. Our peace with God through the atonement of Christ is the product of his goodness and mercy. God's goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives because no matter what happens, God will never let us go. Romans 8 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the goodness and mercy that's been shown to us compels us to show goodness and mercy to our enemies as we seek peace with them. Now, the final statement of this psalm shows the ultimate goal of our peace with God. The word translated dwell, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word translated dwell has a connotation of returning home. We were created to worship God for eternity. And we get to return to God's presence to do what we were made to do forever. And the night before Jesus was crucified, he said in John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go, I prepare a place for you. If, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. In John's report in Revelation 21, 3 through 4, he gives us a beautiful description of what it will be like to dwell with God in eternity. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. This is what we look forward to and what we live for. We get to live forever in the very presence of our almighty triune God, being cared for, being cared for by him personally, and all those valleys that we talked about earlier, they'll be gone like a shadow as we live in the light of perfect peace with him forever. Now we saw how David depicted God's personal care for us as a shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. He's our provider, our protector, and our peacemaker, all for our good and his glory. He provides for our physical and spiritual needs. He protects us from sin and death through his death and resurrection and the seal of the Holy Spirit. And he grants us overflowing peace to be reconciled with our enemies and live with him forever. Now I think Horatio Spafford was likely reading Psalm 23 on the boat just before they stopped over the place where his children had died. Because when they stopped, he wrote these lines, which we sang. When peace like a river attendeth my way. That's like verses 1 through 3, the green pastures and the still waters. When sorrows like sea billows roll. It's like verse 4, the valley of the shadow of death. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. Remember the protection and correction of his rod and staff? He has taught us to say this. He has taught us to say, it is well with my soul. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When all is going so well, we may be tempted to think that we can do it on our own. Remember that God has provided those green pastures and still waters, and we should rely on him and give him the glory. When we're tempted to think that our righteous deeds are ours to boast in, remember, it's God who leads us in the paths of righteousness by restoring our soul in the first place. When we go through hard times and we may be tempted to think that God does not care, remember that he is sovereign even over those hard times and he leads us through them and comforts us in them for his glory and our good, all while protecting us from sin and death through the blood of Christ. When we're tempted to hold a grudge against our enemies, remember God's goodness and mercy that chased us down and reconciled us to him so that we can offer the same forgiveness and overflowing peace to our enemies. When the cares of life become so overwhelming that we're tempted to look only at this life and not to eternity, remember that we will not live here forever. We will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. If Jesus is not your shepherd, I beg you, believe in him, that his death and resurrection is the payment and promise of forgiveness and eternal life. Believe it and turn from your sin, submitting to his sovereign rule over your life. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't take a magical prayer or even talking to a pastor. All it takes is faith in Jesus and submitting to him instead of submitting to sin. So in the words of Jesus in Mark 1:15, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for shepherding us. For sending your son to be the good shepherd to lay down his life for us. Thank you for providing everything that we need. Thank you for providing our green pastures and still waters. And Father, thank you so much for restoring our souls and for leading us in your paths of righteousness. You deserve, deserve all the glory and praise for everything good that we have. Your word says that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we believe it. And we worship you for that. Oh, and Father, we cannot escape the valley of the shadow of death. We cannot es escape the depression, the gloom, the sadness, the despair, the pain that comes in life because of the curse, the curse of sin. And Father, I pray that you would comfort us in the midst of that with your very presence. Remind us in the midst of our pain that you are here and that you protect us. You protect us. You keep us safe. And you teach us how to live in the midst of that pain. And Father, I pray that you would grant us peace and that you would allow us to live in peace with everyone around us and that we would seek their peace with you as we give them your gospel, that they could be saved. And Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and mercy that has chased us down and that now when we look at our lives, all we see is your goodness and your mercy permeating our lives and following us around wherever we go. And Father, thank you that we have this hope, this hope of dwelling with you, returning to you, and living with you forever. I pray, Lord, that you would keep that hope in front of our eyes, that we would strive forever to live in that place. 
to live in your presence, to worship you as we were created to do forever. And Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.